Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this session on ERM, particularly looking at the risk the embedding a culture into an organization and this groundbreaking work of those, those of us in ERM and those of us who passed the SERI exam will know that one of the great bases of ERM is that word E-Enterprise, which means look at the whole company. And in order to do that, one needs to embed a risk culture in the company. And what this paper has done is it's not so easy. You need to make sure the ground is fertile. The culture in the company is the ground. So what this paper does has a look at the various cultures and what is the best culture, what one should try and inculcate in order to embed a risk culture in a company. A bit of the background to the two authors. Now the paper is based on an honours paper that Christian had done last year in honours year. And it was nominated for the Discovery Prize, voted the best honest project at WITS last year. So it's certainly a paper of quality. About Christian, completed undergraduate degree at WITS 2013, honest 2014, currently working at MMI in the Retirement Solution Team. Somebody had said of Christian, uh, Krishna, sorry, Krishna has also been very actively involved in the development program, which we just heard about. The energy and the enthusiasm inspired very many. The key strengths are a sense of humor, dynamism in an ever-changing world, and the ability to push the bounds of the norm. The technical prowess with excellent business skills created a force to be reckoned with in the corporate sphere. There's a saying, Reddington, an actor is an actor is only an actor is not an actuary. In the spare time, Krishna is greatly involved in many cultural activities. And this uh, message ends with, Dynamite comes in small packages. <laughs> so we're looking forward to what Krishna has to say. Uh, turning to the co-author, Mark. Mark was Krishna's supervisor at FITS. Mark's primary, Mark is a lecturer at FITS, senior lecturer, lecturing uh, tasks such as F105 and a finance portion of A301. Apart from marking, Mark, Mark says that academia is fabulous. Loves his work, lovely. He's also doing some life and investment consulting. He spent 19 years in the life insurance industry with particular focus on investments. So you can see we've got people, two authors, who are well grounded in what they're talking about. The paper is very relevant, and I see there are some CROs here, which is very good. Uh, and uh, because it does address, one can try and plant, plant a seed, try and get that risk culture down to the bottom, the lowest clock, but we need to make sure that the culture in our companies is appropriate. But without any further ado, can I ask Mark to introduce the paper. A round of applause, please. Uh, thanks, Albert. Uh, you'll notice that in terms of the slides that are up now, the title is a lot snappier than it was previously. One of the issues we've had with this paper is to try and get the, uh, the title to be more focused. By the end of this presentation, what we certainly discovered in terms of the paper itself is that it tends to create very different kind of responses. You're either going to go, wow, this is interesting, this is potentially useful, and how to how to go about applying it. Or you go, this is rubbish. Honestly, if you're in the latter group, I don't mind. I can take the criticism. Even Krishna can. Trust me, face it over the last year and a bit working this paper. But I quite like the word that Arthur used, which is planting a seed. If we manage to plant a seed in with the naysayers, then I think our job is done. Oh, the other thing I should point out is I'm nearsighted and that's too damn far, so I'm going to have to keep looking back on this side. So in terms of what we're going to cover today, um, I'll give a very brief introduction. I will then deal with some of the principles of enterprise risk management and the approach that we took. Then Krishna will take over and deal with the real meat of the presentation, dealing with organizational culture and linking the organizational culture in the RM. I will then uh, conclude with 
having a look at some of the survey findings to see what the industry thinks of the thing it is, and then uh, conclude it finally. Okay. So, our solvency regime in terms of the insurance sector, this is insurance focused, specifically refers to organizational culture embedding the risk management practices. So our new regulatory regime specifically mentions corporate culture. But very little has been done on that link between um, organizational culture and ERM principles. So whilst our regulatory regime specifies it and that we need to think about it, not much seems to have been done. In terms of your own environment, if you've had a thought about this and, and uh, considered it, I'm not sure how far along that process has actually been. Um, I can certainly tell you, in my experience, and certainly dealing with the organizations I've worked with, and worked in, as well as dealing with this paper, is that this is some of the hardest, most complex, most non-actuarial thinking I've actually had to do. Uh, Krishna many times made me cry in terms of stuff she was looking at because it was so alien to the way we think. which comes down to the primary purpose of this paper. The primary purpose of this paper is to provide a framework, a start, something for chief risk officers to at least take on, look at, apply, improve, work on, to provide that link, the culture, corporate culture, and the RM principles. And then after we went through this and painstakingly went through the different principles and the different cultures. We also then uh, did an investigation through a survey in terms of the industry. And we'll show you some of those results, which are due to the subjective nature, nature of what we're looking at, and in our opinion, fairly biased. But we'll cover that later. Okay, enterprise risk management. So we need to have a start in, uh, in terms of what ERM definition we're going to be using. For the purpose of this paper, uh, we will use the COSO definition. Uh, for those of you who don't know COSO, uh, COSO is here primarily due to, primarily thanks due to uh, the accounting profession in the 1980s, uh, where they got together uh, to try and combat primarily fraud. So this is the COSO uh, definition. Um, when you look at other ERM definitions that are out there, they are pretty similar, and the primary principles are embedded in the class of definition. So you can pretty much take this as a fairly reasonable generalization of, of the definition of the ERM. There are just right. Um, there are two things I want to point out. Actually, let's make it three in terms of the definition. The first one is involving strategy. The second one is the risk element. And the third element, which is most critical, is the achievement of entity objectives. Um, there is a paper which actually tries to categorize the ERM definitions. And COSO is, uh, has been one of the most widely used, it is quite central to that. And it falls under the achievement of objectives categorization of ERM, which as actuaries, I think, sits quite more of us. Okay, so the author is defined as follows. So there are a couple of things, or three things again, that I want to point out over here, which is the risks, the strategy, and in this situation, the objectives is solvency. So in terms of the SAM regulation, the way that you're gonna look at it is, uh, SAM requires a risk management system, which is actually ERM. And what the author does, it actually gives context to that. So it gives context to that in a regulatory setting, and with a particular emphasis on uh, capital usage. So again, COSO, also SAM, seems to be fine. It's a good name. 
So why Casa? Why are we harping on about the Casa definition? It's because of that, which is a cube. Because we have the accounting profession being involved, they are pretty quantitative and pretty direct. And what they've tried to do is create an ERM framework that is actually usable. So this is actually a practical framework. And practicality is critical in terms of the principles because without a practical usage, we cannot connect to the corporate culture. So think about it this way. We need something practical usable under the ERM side something practical, practically usable under the corporate culture side, which Krishna will cover. And we need to try and marry the two, which is where the real work um, is in terms of the paper. So how does the Costa Cube work? On the top, you have the objectives of the organization, which is operational objectives, reporting objectives, and compliance objectives. On the right side, We have the split of the organization by division. So what the top part says is that we have objectives of the organization. What the right side says is that we can split up those objectives uh, by division, uh, so by HT, by division, right down to function. But the bit that we're interested in is the front part, the face. The face indicates the internal controls which for our purposes we're taking as the practical elements of the principles of ERM. So in the face we've got the control environment and there are 17 principles in total. I've just used an example of each because I don't want to waste your time it's in the paper. So the type of things that they, they will talk under the control environment is the board independence for example. second one which is risk assessment uh, this can be seen as in the actual control cycle as specifying or specifying the problem good example of that is analyzation uh, or analyzing of the risks uh, very importantly as I mentioned with CASA it's always in terms of achieving the organization's objectives so it always gets pulled back to that central theme in every single Third element is control activities, and this can be seen as uh, developing a solution element of the control cycle. So, risk control activities, which is obviously key to what we're looking at, and again, to meet the objectives. The second last one is information communication. This is the broader communication uh, system, um, how your organization communicates internally, externally, deals with data, make sure that the data is of the right quality. So that's a kind of principle. And again, always meet the objectives. And the final element is the iterative element of the control cycle, it's the feedback loop, which is the monitoring. Such as following appropriate evaluations on your risk control. organizations objectives and that's the, the cube in totality and again if I, if I want you to take one thing out of this it is we had to go and find an ERM framework that we could practically use and find distinct principles which we could then try to link to the corporate culture elements which Krishna will now take us through organizational culture. Organizational culture has so many different meanings. Some people, especially actuaries here, would confuse it with maybe risk culture and others may be different. But I can almost guarantee that everyone right now has their own definition of organizational culture. When researching organizational culture, I found that there were so many definitions and for the purposes of this research, 
this is the de definition that we use. Basically, it's the shared values, shared beliefs, knowledge, and customs that a group of people share. Why I emphasize the word share is because every individual often often uh, organization must share, have the same values, beliefs, knowledge, and customs. It is this which determine the relationships that people have with each other. It will determine how well they work together and how good that rela their relationships are. This is what determines what organizational culture is. It's the sharing of the values, beliefs, knowledge, and customs. It actually determines the extent to which people would express themselves. So the degree of freedom of expression. It also determines the, how decisions are made and how ideas are developed. This is very important in any organization. I mean, imagine an organization that well, has people who doesn't, uh, are not willing to share information, share their knowledge with each other, each other. How would they then come together and make decisions? It is possible, but it would be more difficult. And that comes to my next point, which is the flow of power and information through the organization's hierarchy. So it is, this, it is these values, beliefs, knowledge, and customs that determine the extent to which these three points are made in an organization. And ultimately, to achieve the organization's objectives. So when looking for an appropriate organizational culture, we had to look at a, no a number of frameworks. There are quite a few frameworks out there. But we had to look at something that was appropriate to use in terms of linking it with the ERM principles. We had to look at something that was simple but appropriate to use. And also, we wanted something quantifiable. We are actuaries, we love numbers. So, uh, we have found one, uh, we have found the most appropriate uh, framework to use, and that framework has two culture components, which I'll explain now. The first is sociability. Sociability has to do with uh, how people, are, how people uh, bond with other people, They how uh, a teamwork is encouraged within an organization also determined by the, how frequently they communicate on an informal and informal basis. For example, let's take your workplace. You would communicate more easily if you were people who you actually talk to about personal things. You go out, uh, go out outside of work and talk about your own problems or whatever it is. So this determines the level of sociability in an organization. It gives an open platform for innovation, criticism, and discussion. I mean, how many of us over here would actually, who are, who are actually comfortable with our colleagues, would sit together and come up with ideas or criticize some of the, th some of the things of your own organization and then come up with things to solve that? I mean, I think this is one of the most crucial things when it comes to innovation and um, criticism. Then there are shared ideas, attitudes, interests, and values. I think these things actually enhance people's relationships within the workplace, uh, to find common ground almost. There's also, an, uh, evident, there's also evidence of uh, informal relationships between employees, if we are talking about a, a company. So the second cultural component I'll be speaking of is solidarity. So this one is more task-orientated and outcome-based. Uh, over here we have people who are more single-mindedly dedicated to, towards working towards the organization's uh, objectives. We have systems in place. We have, you know, people must know what are their roles, what are they there for, what's their purpose, and basically what they have to do every day. They like that they roles are clearly defined and understood by everyone. 
everyone's also held to high standards. In a company that, or an organization that has high levels of solidarity, they want to meet deadlines. They want to make sure that everything is up to scratch of the highest quality. Um, communication is also very formal, so they don't necessarily have good relationships with the um, employees, or well, the colleagues. But communication does happen, but more on a formal level. They just say what they have to say, and that's it. The last point is they have a quick response to changes in the environment. Now here we're talking about people who are wanting to be at the top of their game. So they want to be ahead of the, of the lots, they, want, they are very competitive within the culture and outside. So they are, they are very easily adaptable to changes in the environment. So now I will combine these two, well these two components combined to create four cultures. The first is the networked culture. So these are, this, these are the cultures, organizational cultures, that have high levels of sociability and low levels of solidarity. I like to refer to these people as the talkers or those who talk the talk. Um, so these, there are positives and negatives to this type of culture. For example, if we have employees always talking about uh, well, work-related things as well as non-work-related non things, then there could be some sort of distractions to actually getting the work done. Uh, if we have an organization that's talking so much about, uh, well, having a lot of discussions about a certain problem, and they don't actually sit down and decide on what they should do, nothing will actually be done. So, it, so each of these cultures will have their positives and negatives. And I think it's the extreme levels of sociability and solidarity respectively that would impact the, uh, well, that would have a negative impact on achieving the organization's objectives. The second is the mercenary culture. It's almost the opposite of the networked culture. So they have high levels of solidarity and low levels of sociability. These peoples walk the walk, the walkers. Uh, so in this type of culture, employees don't necessarily have good relationships with each other and they work together only because they have to, only to um, make sure that they meet deadlines and their work is done. So that's the mercenary culture. The next is the fragmented culture. So low levels of sociability, low, low, low levels of solidarity. These people don't, work, don't walk nor talk. So <laughs> we like to call them the oddballs. Uh, so I think it's quite obvious here, I think, that we wouldn't quite anticipate that this type of culture would be any good. It actually is more appropriate in settings where people are not really dependent on each other, work independently. The last, but not least, is the communal culture. Those cultures that have high levels, high levels of sociability and high levels of solidarity. They walk the talk. So the, this culture is actually uh, the most favorable culture, let's say. They have the employees or members of the organization are, uh, have good relationships with each other, they communicate well, but they make sure that the work is done. This brings us to the double SQ. So this was originally um, founded by Coffey and Jones in 1998. Uh, if we go towards the right of the cube, you'll see high levels of solidarity, and if you go up, you'll see high levels of sociability. So you'll see that the communal culture then is in the right top corner. Uh, and as I discussed earlier, each culture would have the negative and positive aspects to it. So this would just be uh, determined by very extreme levels of sociability and solidarity. So now the fun bit, linking organizational culture to ERM, or well, to the ERM principles. So when linking this, one must consider that it's actually very difficult. 
And Mark and I, as he mentioned earlier, had lengthy discussions slash debates on this. <laughs> Disagreement. <laughs> there we go. So um, I will explain this via an example. This was done uh, for each of the principles in, uh, well, when I originally wrote the paper. And the example that we will use today is develop, well, the organization selects and develops uh, controls to mitigate risks in the organization in order to achieve the objectives. So I want everyone here to imagine that you are a member of your own organization and that just keep this principle in mind. So you want to develop, and, uh, develop controls to mitigate risks. A risk posed to that um, risks to, uh, to achieving your objectives. So in our framework, we actually split this into two phases. The first phase was to assess each of the components of the double S cube independently of each other. So first, maybe um, assessing sociability and then solidarity. Uh, the second phase is then to combine the two to actually determine the culture that is required. So phase one, choose the first organizational culture component. Let's take sociability in our example. And now I want, you to, I want you to consider how each of the key characteristics of sociability are vital to meet your objective of mitigating risk or developing controls to mitigate risk. So I'll give you, uh, the live polling isn't working, so I'll we'll go through just the first key characteristics of sociability. So how important or how vital do you think does the encouragement of teamwork within your organization is to mitigate risk in your organization? So here an encouragement of teamwork could be vital, could be very important, or it could be detrimental. What if uh, this encourages very high levels of sociability where no work gets done? So. Yeah, so I want you all to give this a rating between one and five, where one is strongly disagree that it is not vital, and five is strongly agree. Okay, so by a show of hands, uh, how many would say that it's one? Two? Three? Okay, we've got three or four people. Four? Okay, five. Okay, so the majority voted four. Okay, it's very close to what Mark and I actually decided on. Uh, we had three, and for each of the characteristics, we scored the following. So this was um, the second step of the of, of phase one. As you can see, we thought that that an open platform is very, very important in uh, developing controls to mitigate risk, as well as a single-minded uh, dedication for the solidarity component. Uh, very formal communication, you didn't think is that important in this case. So the third step then uh, is to find the average score for each of uh, sociability and solidarity. This. For, for Mark, Mark and I, um, we, we scored 3.2 for sociability and 3 for solidarity. Phase two then is to plot this uh, to determine the organizational culture. So this is the plot. Um, we're going from one to five, almost like the double S cube that we originally showed you. So high levels of uh, solidarity would be towards the right and high levels of sociability going up. As you can see, our score lies between um, the networked and communal culture. So how we'd interpret this is saying that high levels of sociability is very important when, when in meeting this ERM principle. Uh, this means that we need systems in place 
We need people who are dedicated to do their work, uh, to meet deadlines, and yeah, basically to create controls in order to mitigate risks. Sociability, uh, yes, and so yeah, so so it would have a link between the two so, uh, networked and communal culture. It could fall into either one, either one of the quadrants. And uh, so we did this for each of the principles, and the organizational culture for each of the uh, organizations could actually be uh, evaluated in a similar way, where you have the key characteristics of sociability and solidarity, scoring them, and finding the average, and then plotting them on the graph. So, yeah, I think that's it for the, the framework. Thank you. Mark will now um, explain, the, well, speak about the survey findings, findings of the investigation that we had in the insurance industry, and then briefly conclude. Thank you. I, I know I keep harping about this, but I, I want you to realize just how unbelievably difficult getting down to this, it actually ends up being. This is not a back-of-the-envelope calculation. In an ideal world, um, what you should actually do is have a set of um, ways of interrogating yourself and some of the senior executives to find what you think is the best culture for each one of the principles. Um, I mean, I, I certainly sweated just in the conversation between the two of us. And uh, I can see in an organizational setting this being very mentally strenuous. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to the survey findings. So what, we, what Christian's just chatted about is coming up with what you would like to see as the culture appropriate for each one of the RM principles. What I'm going to show you now is a, an attempt to try and get what the industry thinks the current culture is. So this is an is situation, not would like to be. So we managed to get responses from 23 South African insurers. Um, Krishna diligently tried to get responses from over 150. I laughed. What is really, really cool is that it, it represents the vast majority of the market. And most importantly, um, only one market leader uh, did not actually respond. So the way I see this is that it's a pretty good barometer reading. Uh, you're not going to get some great stats coming out of this, but then you never do these kinds of questionnaires. But it is a pretty good indication of where the kind of the industry is. Uh, very, very important. The respondents were all CROs or senior risk people. So we didn't have um, some person fresh out of university, Krishna, answering this right. <laughs> okay, really, really key. There are major framing issues um, associated with this. And in fact, this again falls back in terms of the linkage element as well. First of all, because we're dealing with the positive aspects of sociability and solidarity, the questions are naturally framed in a positive aspect. So people are more likely, from behavioral finance, and we've seen it in terms of the results, be inclined to score highly. The second part is that a person in an organization, unless they're disgruntled, invariably thinks that the organization is great. So there's a natural upward bias in terms of respondents anyway, even though that you would hope your CRO is a fairly um, sober-minded individual. That deals with the framing issues. There's one additional thing which I need to cover, and it is really, really important, having observed this in organizations I've certainly worked with, even in, at, at WITS at the moment is the disconnect between what executives think and what the, the grunts actually think. So the people who think up at the top and go, well, we've got a great culture, it's X, Y, and Z, unless you test that view, unless you test that view with the people who are actually doing the work, you, will not, you should not believe yourself. Um, pretty much in every organization I've worked with, the views from the top and the views from the bottom are quite divergent as to the culture. So, 
major issues, it comes part and parcel with, with, this, with this field. Okay, the first uh, diagram I've got for you, and again, this is the, what, what the industry thinks it is at the moment, is a simple scatter plot uh, based on the questionnaire we set out, indicating uh, where each company that responded thinks they are in terms of the uh, WS cube. Uh, so each one of those dots indicates a, indicates a company. Um, you've got sociability as your x-axis, you've got solid, sorry, solidarity as your x-axis, and sociability as your y. And uh, a couple of things I want to point out. Um, networked. Mercenary. Uh, I, I get told by my colleagues I'm very cynical. I would say that's one honest person. Uh, and Nirvana, apparently. <laughs> In terms of the respondents, um, each one of these three extreme outliers are small companies. And that is what we expected. From the research we did, uh, what pretty much the literature says is that the larger you become, the more you kind of gravitate into this area, and the more, and this is very critical, you gravitate towards one of the other axes. So you end up being central, even if you work hard at becoming communal, and you gravitate towards one of these axes. And we'll discuss that further on when I show some more, more results. Yep. Um, uh, one additional thing, given the bias comment uh, I mentioned up, um, I think it's fairly evident that these results are fairly biased. How we deal with it is we create bands. So what you've got over here is um, a, the averages, so the dots now averages uh, for each size, size at the bottom, sorry, size indicated by number of employees. This is a critical split because culture is about people, hence the reason why certainly I struggle to to really get to grips with this. So what you've got over here is the averages of the different sizes of organizations by people split by bands. And what the bands indicate is as follows, which is if you're in this area over here, yeah, we don't think you're communal. If you're in this band over here, you're possibly communal, but probably not. This band over here, you're heading towards what we think is genuinely communal. And above here, um, it's Kimisinos, I think you, you are communal. So that's the one thing. The second thing is something which I touched on the previous slide, and what is critical in terms of size, which is the largest ones, which is that one over there, and this one over here, the largest companies struggle to maintain an equal uh, value of both sociability and solidarity. And that is actually what's evidenced in reality from the researchers that have done more work on this, which is your large organizations gravitate. So as a uh, chief risk officer plus executives who may believe that a genuine communal culture may be best for a certain principle, you are going to have your work cut out in a large organization to try and achieve that. Also gives you some interesting insights as to the downsides of growing companies, but that's not the purpose here. Yeah, uh, I'll briefly talk about this. It's the same split except what we're looking at here is the type of insurer. And barring reinsurance, which is a little bit different than this, which is just weird. And there are very few data points and I don't believe them. Uh, pretty much all insurers, types, insurance types all in the same category. Or oh, everything's communal, we're all good, yay. Um, this has actually got some interesting insights. So this is uh, plotting where in the development path on the ORSA you end up being in terms of corporate culture. And there seems to be an indication, again, not statistically significant because there's too few data points, but it is an interesting insight where over here we have a fairly immature ORSA implementation. And as you implement it, you seem to grow out. So it may well be that actually having a fully functional also system is actually beneficial to your company in terms of culture, which is a fascinating insight. It's also got some downsides, which is don't take that at face value. 
So don't think, ah, oh, we've got an horse, everything's perfect. No, no, it just means that it might be. Okay, now we get to, again, coming back to the meat of what we're, what we're trying to achieve, which is the framework. So what I've got up there is the linkage discussion, linking the year on principles with the corporate culture. The line in this case indicates the average. That dot over there is across all the principles, the average score. So what I've plotted over here are the principles that are genuine outliers. Genuine outliers. So something where we have either very strong sociability and solidarity score or very low relative sociability and solidarity score. And what these represent, you may well find interesting. I certainly did. Again, those points reflect the control environment, the um, internal controls on the face of the double of the face of the Casa cube. So under the external under the external environment, you've got these one and two in particular being extreme values of sociability and solidarity. Which, if you look at it, is integrity and independence. I find the independence one particularly troubling. And the third one, which is over here, shows extreme values of sociability and uh, pretty much now normal values of solidarity. Okay, so this is the develop the solution element of the cycle. We've got 10 over here. This is the development of risk mitigation techniques. Uh, this is something that we actually expected. So we're actually happy with this 10. We thought that was going to be a situation of low sociability and reasonable levels of solidarity, which it is. The bit that I don't get is this one, which is IT. I was not aware that IT people like talking to each other all the time. <laughs> Although, given the fact that whenever I visited them, they tend to be playing games, maybe that's fair. Yeah. So that was a fairly interesting result. And the last one is the communication aspect, uh, which is the quality of information. Uh, this is interesting in that it seems to be processes outweigh chatting about it, uh, which I think kind of makes sense, but I'm not sure. So what this actually represents is you have a set of hypotheses that you set up based on what you think your, your culture should be. You then set up a questionnaire within your company to test what it is. You see where the differences are, and then you think about whether or not you need to make changes. And having been a part of an organization as a whole that, that drifted from being communal mercenary to pure mercenary as a result of a change of ownership, um, I can tell you the amount of pain and suffering involved in trying to change culture. The last thing I want to make a comment on regarding the culture element is this, which is, and it's really a key point. If you are in a particular culture, culture and you think you can change it, one of the major impediments is your recruitment policy. People hire people who they th think like them. Makes us feel all good about ourselves. So if you are recruiting people who effectively embed your current culture, you're not going to change it. So the implications of trying to change your culture, we haven't really touched on in too much depth in terms of this uh, paper. We do speak about it. That is incredibly difficult. Okay, just enough time to do the conclusion. So we use the WS cube of Joffrey and Jones. Uh, we linked the principles, your own principles, to the corporate culture. And we recognize that communal culture is great, but you need to think about what that really means. And the industry reflects that, which I've shown you. And that's it. Last comment before I, I go. If I have managed or we have managed to lay, plant enough of a seed and somebody 
decides to run with this and do that in their organization, I personally would love to see your results and have conversations with you because if it is, I cannot believe it can be more, oh, sorry, less complex, complex and less difficult to think about than what I went through. And this is a very, this doesn't make me comfortable. This is not an, a non-actuarially comfortable area. Thank you very much. Thank you very much to Krishna and to Mark. We've got about 10 minutes for questions. Uh, are there any questions? Right, we got one, Neil, thank you. I've just got a question. Um, if you uh, look at a company, obviously it's made up out of different departments, and each department will have its own culture. So do you think the sum of the subculture adds up to the culture of the organization as a whole? Or should you look at the different subcultures and try to manage each one of them? Yeah, uh, we, we actually do touch on this in the paper itself in terms of the split um, at the entity level down by division. We do mention it. Uh, the first comment I wanted to make on that is that the framework we've proposed can be done at the divisional level. The question you're asking though is that, um, you know, how does the top end look like? You know, is it just a, an amalgamation of the bottom? Uh, certainly in terms of my experience, the answer is no. In fact, I have found divisions, I, found, I have found divisions in organizations that are very different to the entity corporate culture at the top end. Um, and that is actually quite good if you think about it. Because if your division represents certain elements of the ERM principles, then what we're suggesting is that you have effectively a goal culture for each of those principles. So as long as your divisions um, basically focus on different types of principles, then I do think that's appropriate. Um, the last comment I want to make on that it comes back to what I just referred to, which is it's also very difficult when you talk about the entity culture. Because in my experience, executives, what executives think the culture is and what the people who actually do the work think the culture is tend to be very different. So yes, it's an amalgamation, but it's probably not the amalgamation that the executives think it is. Yeah, I just want to add to that. Going back to the Casa Cube, uh, it was seen on the right-hand side of the cube, it was at different levels. So I don't think it would, the sum of the divisions would give you the ultimate organization's culture. It has to be looked at at each level. And each of the risk components also apply to each level. So. Thank you, Mark Krishna. Thanks, Neil. Any other questions? Can I ask Mark a question? Mark, you're saying it's very difficult to change the culture. Who is the key person? Is it the board of directors or the CEO? Who actually determines the culture in an organization? <laughs> Sorry, I, I've, I've, got to, I've got to just mention a wonderful buzzword that's been running around in business for the past few years, which I struggle to understand. We seem to, certainly in terms of my experience in dealing with companies, throw this word leadership around. Yeah, we're going to lead, and everyone's going to follow. I hate that word. <laughs> uh, so who's responsible? There is there's no doubt in terms of my experience. And, and Arthur, I mean, you, I'd like to hear your views as well. I mean, you've been around the block a few times. Is that your leadership certainly help, but I've... Most organizations I've seen tend to have their own culture, which is from bottom up. So if you have, I suppose a better question is this, which is if there is a big disconnect between what your executives think it is and how they manage the organization and how the people work, then what do you end up with? Right, there's, I went on to that question. There's a question over there. Thank you very much. Um, 
Dean Moy at Just Retirement. Um, given that this is an enterprise risk management topic, um, don't the results of your survey actually point to a massive risk in the insurance industry? Because if we're saying that the executives are largely delusional um, <laughs> and out of touch with what the real culture is, what is actually being reflected in the authors of those organizations? gives me all the difficult stuff. Huh? <laughs> um, the short answer is yes. Um, and I think what we're trying to achieve here, and certainly that, that, that I think is the primary purpose of what, what we're trying to, trying to get to, is yes it is. What are the implications of the risk? I don't know, but potentially quite large, I think, just offhand, but needs to be tested. But if we don't start investigating it, we won't know. Um, certainly the impression I got, and I speak for myself, I don't know if, if other people feel similarly, which is you tend to have a you know, personal view about corporate culture, and that's pretty much as far as it, go, it gets to. Um, what I'm suggesting is that we actually have to be more proactive. This is something we must look at. We need to, as actors, try and quantify something which is quite subjective. So at least we have something, some sort of scorecard where we can go ahead and say, wow, this is not where we need to be. What are the implications? I I'm certainly not aware of that conversation happening. So what oh. I I'm going to add to that. Um, what I saw when doing the research is that everyone is aware of risk culture and the kind of, kind of risk culture that they should have uh, when dealing with ERM but they don't really speak about organizational culture. And my opinion is that it is very important because I find that it is fundamental that the organization's culture is, determines how well, for example, information flows, how well decisions are made, what kind of controls are there within the organization. And yeah, so I think it is very important and this is just one way of quantifying it in a start. Uh, well, yeah, just a start, a, a fresh look at organizational culture and how it could actually help implement the ERM principles within the organization. Thank you. Another question? Could you just use the mic? Um, hi, just wondering, um, have the two of you any, by, by any chance approached any organizational psychology or HR departments and maybe asked what they thought of your research or if they thought about similar things themselves? Because, I mean, just uh, given what I've seen so far, it seems like this would be, I mean, obviously the quantitative skills are ours, but very much their realm of expertise. I mean, maybe your quantitative skills would shed an insight on something they've already looked at. Um, Arthur, that was worse. Can we have it without the microphone? Because that just echoed. Can you repeat it without the mic? This uh, <laughs> <laughs> speaker. No, Ed, there's an echo. It, it sounded like you were speaking in an auditorium filled with people. Okay. Okay, so we didn't approach any HR departments, anything of the sort, but when I did the research, then I have looked at uh, those journals, the journals and that in those sections. So um, I completely agree with you that uh, there is a direct link. And personally, I feel that we should have, well, if we had a, another stab at it, maybe look at uh, the members of the organizations itself, not just the CROs and not just the high level view. So, uh, no, I completely agree with you, and, uh, no, but we have looked at uh, journals and research papers from those aspects. Yeah, I just want to add on to that. Um, we mentioned this in the paper, and I, I think we did mention it in the presentation, but it's something which, I, I want, again, I want to focus on highlight, which is when you, if you want to take this and try and utilize it, you cannot do it by yourself. The, the division that you're referring to, HR, is actually specifically mentioned in our papers, one of the divisions you have to deal with. It deals with areas that we're not experts in. 
mustn't fool ourselves that we are. And certainly in areas that, uh, as an actor, I feel very uncomfortable dealing in. That, that's good, isn't it? That means we're growing, right? Mm. Yeah, that's the theory. Very painful, I'm at. Uh, so absolutely, um, it, it involves fields that we are not experts in, and we must recognize that. Another question, thank you. Do you just want to speak up? There is a bit of an echo here. Thank you. It's more, I think, an observation than, than a question. I, I thought it's a useful perspective, so thank you for that. Um, I mean, personally, in sort of rolling out a, put a risk environment in, a, in, in an insurance company, um, if I, I mean, I need to think about this a bit more, but if I were to take your model as it and roll it out to my organization, which is followed, uh, I will confuse your company just because the way that I define culture here with the different segments is different to what we call it with the model. And it links to the people too. So what I found useful in this is the concept of how you measure um, culture in the organization, engagement levels, what, whatever that is. What could be useful is if you take that people perspective and say of the 20 metrics that you measure in the organization, which are the five most important ones that you drive to this So you're doing exactly the same thing, but I wouldn't necessarily use your culture model, your life culture model. I think that's quite important because if we, if we take another culture model, you are at risk of competing your organization and oh, risk is coming with something you actually don't want risk to come anything. You want to slot into what's been done in your people space and try and leverage with that to say, what is my ideal culture look like to get the right intelligence on the organization? But, so I have, I've never actually put that concept together myself, but I thought that was quite Thank you. I have to get time for a last question. So sorry, I'll think that. There's actually quite an important comment regarding um, the uh, corporate culture in research in terms of literature. That's why we need to that. Yeah, so like you said, you have your own definition of culture. And that's why we, when I uh, researched, uh, did research on corporate culture, I found that there are lots of definitions of it. And uh, there was one by Shane, who, I don't know his first name, sorry, but uh, he actually had a, a, very, um, a, a very broad definition of organizational culture and he broke it up into many, many elements. So on that basis did we actually choose this definition of organizational culture. And we tried as much as we can to have, well, have a framework that includes all the elements of that broad definition. And it was on that basis that we actually chose the Coffee and Jones um, framework. It was very broadly used uh, in research and that for that same reason. So, yeah, I, I think uh, that helps you. Okay. Yeah, um, sorry, just one quick add-on to that. And that's kind of the issue. Um, I'm thrilled at your response, by the way, because that's what I'm kind of wanted, which is please take this, go and make the changes you think you need to and try and apply it. That, that's, that's fabulous. And then I've, I think we've done our job. Um, the issue about using your own corporate culture and not something that's widely used in research is that you don't have a lot of help in terms of where it's been applied previously. That's the issue. Right, thank you. Final question. Right, last one. Thank you. So I have uh, looked at some of those uh, surveys, but we wanted it to be more uh, aligned to the ERM framework and also to the framework that we use, the culture framework. And for that reason, we created our own survey and sent it out, just because of the definitions of solidarity and sociability, those two key components that determine the culture. Uh, but yes, I have looked at them. Uh, I didn't necessarily use them, though. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. In summary, this is groundbreaking work. There's a lot of work still to be done in this field, and as has been pointed out, 
Just be careful at CRO level that your view of the ground as being fertile might be very different to what the reality is at the bottom. And that's something we need to bear in mind. On behalf of all of us, I wish to thank Mark and Krishna for their work in this, and can we give them a round of applause? Thank you, everybody. The next session, what well, is now tea and coffee?